to 1 Timothy, and we're working through 1 Timothy, a book that Paul wrote to Timothy, and uh, we think it was written from Macedonia uh, to Timothy as he's leading the church in Ephesus. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verses 12 to 20. One Timothy chapter one and verses twelve to twenty. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now, to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them you might fight the good fight, holding on to the faith and a good conscience. Some have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. And as we look at this passage together, we pray that God would reveal more and more of how he wants us to live and what he wants us to do in our lives. Let's continue to worship God. And just uh, one more thing to draw your attention to is uh, if you're youth or young adults, um, youth alive, last chance today. So see Phil, um, go and catch him after the service. He would love to talk to you about that. It's coming up last chance today. Um, There was a husband and wife in bed one Sunday morning and uh, the wife got out of bed and went to have a a shower and uh, when she got out of the shower, the husband was still just lying there in bed, snoring away. And the wife came in and said, husband, you've got to get up. Come on, come to church. And he said, oh, it's too cold. She said, That's no excuse. Come to church. Get up. You've got to come to church. He said, I'm too tired. And she said, come on. That's no excuse. Get up. You've got to come to church. He said, nobody likes me there. And she said, no, that's no excuse. Nobody talks to me. She said, no, there's no excuse. You've got to come. And he said, give me one good reason why I should come. And he said, because you're the pastor. <laughs> now, it wasn't a true story. And it wasn't one about our family. I bound out of bed on Sunday mornings. No. 
But you know what? I, I think um, if only it was tiredness and um, sleepiness that kept many people from church, I think that would be pretty easy to deal with, don't you? I mean, we could organise getting to bed early plans on uh, Saturday night and uh, we, could, we could figure out ways that would ensure that people were ready for church. But I've noticed that some people have something that really stops them from coming to know God and receiving all that he has for them and realising that God's grace is enough. And I've noticed that people who have been addicted to alcohol or addicted to drugs or gambling or pornography often find that although they want to change and they want to live the kind of life that God offers them, they find it really hard to accept that God would ever truly forgive them for what they've done. I think this is not only for people who have addictions feel this way, but I think for people who have also uh, abused people you know, and found that they've, they've hurt the people that they love and they feel... God could never give me his grace for that. I often find people that have been abused by people feel guilty and feel uh, uh, you know, weak and horrible and they feel like they, God could never forgive me. They blame themselves. They're victims. And they think God could never forgive me for the things that have been done to me even. And I've even found that there's many Christians who've given their lives to Jesus and they find themselves getting trapped again in a sin or something, something that trips them up again and they think, you know, now I'm even, I'm a Christian and I've sinned and, and now God could never forgive me now. You know, he did before, but now that I've come to know him, he could never forgive me. I, I just... And so what happens is these people have feelings that stop them from becoming those that are able to receive God's love, not through anything on God's part, but for a belief and a feeling on their part that God could never forgive them because of the sin that they have done in their lives. And I've found the end result of this belief and of this thinking and of, of the way people respond in this situation is not only do they uh, find themselves not receiving God's love, but they find that they settle for kind of like a half-in, half-out faith that kind of says, I'll just kind of uh, hold back and not receive God's full forgiveness, then I'm really not living the kind of life that God wants me to. And I end up walking away from the church thinking that really doesn't have the answers. God really never could forgive me anyway. And I'm still feeling as trapped as I ever was. And before long, people find themselves giving up on faith and knowing Jesus and being part of a community. I wonder this morning whether as you got out of the car to come into the car park, whether some of those beliefs are inside you. Maybe you said something like this, I'm glad I'm here, God. But deep down, if being a Christian means being like people that I, I meet when I come to church, then I don't think I've got what it takes 
Or maybe you said, you know, I could never be like Paul the Apostle. You know, so devoted to God's word, writing letters, facing stonings, facing persecution. I could never be someone who was imprisoned for my faith. I could never be like the person that welcomes me at the door with such a warm, genuine welcome. You know, I could never be like the, the woman in my small group who, who just offers love so unconditionally. There are all these people that look so godly. And I could never be like them. Besides, if people really knew what I was like deep down, if people really knew what I was enslaved to or the way that I've lived my life, people would never accept me. I know that many people face those feelings in their lives. The things that I've done in my past may disqualify me from the Christian life. Maybe you think that this morning from ever being really used by God in my life. And if that's your feeling, what may be happening in your life this morning is that you are timid, uncertain of your faith, and almost like you're standing on the beach watching while other people bask in the love and grace of God. And you stay on the beach because you believe God could never forgive you for the things that you've done. Stops you from serving. Stops you from ministering. And if that's how you feel today, I don't think you're alone at all. I think there are many people that feel like that. There's been times when I've felt like that in my life. And I think today... Uh, many, many people find it very, very hard to believe that God could really forgive them and that might be your position. How could he, you might say, I deserve not to be forgiven. I, I deserve judgment, not mercy, and that's what I should get. I deserve to be called an enemy of God, not a friend of God. And if I can't forgive myself, how could God ever do that? Well, the truth is this morning, it's God does want to forgive. His grace is enough. And if you didn't know that, as we open the passage today, I think what we're going to find is that there are others that have been so undeserving of God's grace but have received it so fully that it transformed their whole lives. Paul the Apostle, look what he writes in 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 14. He says, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I found God's grace to be enough. Look what he where, where, where does it show in the Bible that he was these things? Well, Acts 26 and verses 9 to 11, look what it says. I, was con- I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus, of Nazareth. And that's just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. 
Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished and I tried to force them to blaspheme in my obsession, he calls it, against them. I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. And Paul, as he reflects vividly on the images and the things that he has done in his past, the horrible things that he says, comes to this conclusion. He says, but me, the worst of sinners. He sees himself as the worst of sinners in this passage. What happened to Paul because of all this sin in his past? What was his response? Like, did all his sin and all his blasphemy and violence and persecution of people, did that disqualify him for the Christian life? Well, he says, no, what happened was even though he did all of these things, even though I did, he did all of these things, look what it says there in verse 13, I was shown mercy. I was shown mercy, he says, because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. So I think what he's saying here is that for me, instead of actually knowing Jesus and knowing that he'd come as a son of God and that he died on the cross and rose again and understanding and having that revelation, for me, Paul's saying, I was ignorant. I didn't know what I was doing. What I thought I was doing was I thought I was doing God's will. I was going full on trying to please God and do what I was doing, but I didn't realise that in the very act of doing that, I was a violent person. I was a persecutor. I was causing people to blaspheme God. And God had mercy on me. He is not excusing his sin. But he's saying that God was able to see that my motives were to please God, even though I was doing the most despicable, horrible things and I could be classed as the worst of sinners. But even in that situation, God's mercy came to him. He says these words, which I just love in verse 14. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me, was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He says poured out, and the sense of that word is exceedingly abounded. It just kept coming, the grace of God. It says like his grace was super abundant is the kind of Greek sense of that word, like a, a river whose, whose banks you know, are containing the river and then the river just keeps rising and rising and overflowing and the banks can't contain it. He's saying that's what grace was like to me. It was poured out. It was given to me, one who was the worst of sinners, one of, who did not deserve mercy and grace from God, but I, I received it in full abundance. What was it that made Paul so convinced that he could be forgiven, that this sinner, who is the worst of sinners, could receive grace abundantly, overwhelmingly? What was it that made him have the audacity to believe that someone deserving of death deserving of punishment, of God's wrath, 
could be shown grace and mercy and kindness. What was it? Well, look what happens in the next verse. He says, here is a trustworthy saying. And Paul uses this to kind of draw our attention. Better listen to this, guys. He's saying, as we're reading, he'd say to Timothy, here's something that you can trust. Here's something that you can put your foundations deep on. This is something that is sure and certain. You can take this to the bank. There is no doubt that there's error in what I'm about to say. It's true. Believe it. Stake your life on it. This is true. So what is true? He says here is a trustworthy statement that deserves full acceptance. Open your arms and believe it and receive it fully. And here it is. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He says, believe it. (laughs) You believe it. Accept it. It's true. There's There's no doubt about it. God sent Jesus into the world and the purpose that he came to this world was to save the very ones like Paul the persecutors, the violent ones, the ones that are sinners. This is exactly what Jesus himself said about himself. He said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, to forgive them to give them eternal life, to bring them to himself, to show his grace and his mercy. If you have your Bibles with you, would you turn to me to Romans chapter 3? And in Romans chapter 3 and verses 19 to 20, uh, what Paul is proposing here is saying, Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners. And what people is saying, it's only through Jesus Christ that you can be saved. It's only through him that you can receive forgiveness. Look what it says in Romans 3, 19 to 20. It says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. What this is saying, Paul would be saying to us is, you're right to feel guilty about your sin. You're completely right to realise that that means that you don't stand a chance in front of a holy God. You're right, and that's the law's job, to show us our sin and to help us realise that we can't reach God's standard. Romans uh, 3.23, just a couple of verses on, says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're right, Paul didn't deserve it, you don't deserve it, I don't deserve the grace of God. But look what happens in verse 24. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Jesus came into the world, sent from God, God in the flesh, 
and he lived a perfect life. He showed us how to live. And then what God allowed to be done to his son on a cross was the most horrific death. They crucified him, the sinless one, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They crucified him. And not only was the pain so physically painful, but the weight of the sin of the world that he was taking upon him was unbearable. But he took upon himself your sin and mine. And he took upon himself God's wrath and God's anger for all the things that you and I have done that we deserve punishment for. And so now you don't have to stay with your sin and your horrible memories and your horrible life before and feel condemned by them. But now, because of this trustworthy saying, because of this faithful saying that you can take to the bank, that you can put your whole full acceptance on it, your past is something that you have been forgiven for, saved from. And your song now to sing is not a blues song about your past. It's a song of thankfulness and joy and praise because God forgave you. His grace is enough. So Paul says in this passage that actually what had happened to him was he was shown mercy. And he, the reason for this was that he being the worst of sinners, people like you and I that would read and look and see what Paul did in his life can think, wow, if Paul can be forgiven, if he can be forgiven, then there's hope for me. If he can be receive grace and mercy because of what Jesus has done, then I can be forgiven too. See, he said, the reason this happened is so that me, the worst of sinners, through me, Christ might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Paul's saying, I'm an example. See what happened to me and receive God's grace, which is enough. Believe it and receive it and live it in your life. And that just leads Paul just to think about what he was and what he's now received into praise. And he starts with this doxology, which is, which is just full of incredible praise to God. To now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. When you grip what Jesus has done what God has done in sending his son Jesus to die in your place, to take upon himself the sin that you deserve. And now that you realise that as you trust in him and put your faith in him, you receive forgiveness. As you accept that fully, as you put your trust and turn from your sin, you receive grace and mercy unreserved. So Paul gets back now to the very main reason why he's sending this letter to Timothy. You remember in verse 3 about how 
Paul was writing to tell him to stand up against the false teachers, you know, to, to, to come against them, to not tolerate them. And he says, so Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction about, you know, dealing with the false teachers, stopping them at all costs. I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you uh, so that by following them you might fight the good fight, holding on to the faith and a good conscience. And so what's happening here is Paul is saying, Timothy, some of those false teachers are teaching you that the way to be saved is through the law. You know, they're having little genealogies and endless debates and arguments about the law and how you can be saved through that. He's saying, Timothy, don't do it. Don't even go there. Don't tolerate it. Stand up against the false teachers. And I want you to live out what God has called you to live. It talks about prophecies, about things that people had said about Timothy in the past. He's saying, don't live trying to earn your salvation through any other way. But now, because of the grace that has been poured out to you, live the life I've called you to live. Fight the good fight. Do what God has called you to do. And this morning, if you have felt that you could never be forgiven for the sins that you have committed, you're in exactly the right place to understand the incredible gift of Jesus Christ coming and dying and taking upon himself every punishment, all the things for the sins that you've committed, if you will accept that fully and put your trust in him. And the end result of that is to now pursue wholeheartedly ministry, pursue wholeheartedly the calling that God has placed on your life. He saved you for a purpose. He saved you not so that you could just sit and and mentally assent to the fact that Jesus saved you and poured his grace out on you. He wants you now to live for him just like Paul was. And Paul, the most violent and persecutor, he he was out attacking the church, became one that was building, strengthening an apostle in God's church. And God wants you, one who feels like your sin is stopping you and you could never be forgiven, to be one who receives God's grace and mercy and starts living for his purposes. Paul's saying, Timothy, you do that. Live for his purposes. And it's Urgent that I'm telling you this, Timothy, because some have shipwrecked their faith. Some have walked away. Some have not accepted grace and the truth of the gospel for themselves. And those people have ended up trying to go through all these endless genealogies and silly talk and they've been doing all that and has ended up shipwrecking their faith and they've walked away. And church, I've got to say to you this morning, the same is true for you. It's desperate urgent times. Receive the grace of Christ. Grace alone. His grace is enough. Look to Jesus and his death on the cross. Put your trust fully in Jesus, our risen saviour. And don't try starting to, you know, find new ways of trying to please God as though you can earn your salvation by doing works. Don't try and add to it other things from other faiths. Don't try and, you know, uh, look at things that might not, uh, that don't line up with God's word. Don't do anything else but accept the gospel because it is true. Devour God's word. Be part of God's family, his church. Get in a small group where you can open God's word and nourish it. Start serving. Do the things that he's called you to do. And don't let your past be something that stops you 
from living today and tomorrow to the full in God's grace. God's grace is enough for you. God's grace is enough. This morning, what I want you to know is that God's grace is enough. And what I want you to do this morning is to accept fully that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And if you're a sinner, accept that truth fully and receive his grace and mercy and trust in that for the future. I want to also let you know that as you accept that fully and receive his grace, I want you to also now fight the good fight. You might not have a church at Ephesus where there's false teaching like Timothy did, but you certainly have challenges in your own life. And there's things that are stopping you from doing what God wants you to do with your life. Maybe you're saying, uh, my past means that I could never do this. Maybe you're saying, I, I could never ever you know, do what you're calling me to because there's too many obstacles. And God's word for you this morning would be Paul's words that says, fight the good fight. Do what he has called you to do. And do it with all of your heart for the rest of your days. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a church like that? Can you imagine what would happen if we all did that? I mean, I, 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 I feel like saying just what Paul said, you know, that I am a sinner. I mean, if I look back on my past and I look back on my life, I know that standing here before you is not possible except for the grace of God in my life. I mean, there would be people that would just be knocked over dead to know that I'm a pastor in a church. My typing teacher from year nine, for example, <laughs> who put me out in front of the principal's office time and time again. You know, but there are so many other people who would look at me and say, Jonathan, how could you possibly get up there? My answer is just for the grace of God. It's for the grace of God. John Newton, he was a slave trader. He, uh, captain of a ship that just carried slaves around the world. They would die during the travels. So many got sick and got, uh, died, and he would just throw people that were sick off the edge of the boat and leave them. He's a callous, horrible man. But he came face to face with the grace of God. He said, one thing I know, two things I know, that I am a great sinner, but God is a great saviour. He uh, got his pen out one day in the midst of full uh, understanding of what Jesus had done and he wrote a song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost and now I found, was blind but now I see. And John Newton's life came from being one with slaves and training slaves to being a a pastor and a preacher and a teacher and a hymn writer and turned around considerably. Paul, his life was turned around. Your life can be transformed and turned around by the grace of God.
It's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Can you imagine our church? If each of us understood our sin, mourned over it, but always looked back at that as a reason to give praise and thanks to God for his mercy. And if that encouraged and pushed and urged us to live our lives now, totally for God. What an amazing, amazing movement of God we would see in this place. Do you know him? Well, today might be a day to give your life afresh to him. If you already have been saved by his grace, give thanks this morning for what he has done. We're going to sing together now. And as we sing, as uh, we prepare to sing now, why don't you sing these words to, to God? And would you this morning say, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And would you... Remind yourself of the amazing grace that God has for us. Please stand and sing with us.